Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Last week, we defined a disciple as one who knows and follows Jesus, uh, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And so we want to continue to unpack that as we look at Matthew chapter 5. And so we're going to start right there in the first two uh, verses of chapter 5. This is where uh, Jesus has now been teaching, um, has been called the disciples, and as he begins this ministry, he kind of pauses for a second uh, to make sure that the disciples understand what it is they've actually committed to. It says this in verse 1, one day as he saw crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them And so it's this moment where they're all going to gather up, this group of people, um, some of the disciples that he called by name, some other people who want to follow him. We we talked a little bit last week about what it looked like to follow a rabbi, uh, desiring to be a disciple of a rabbi. Uh, This is the group that is gathered at this point. And Jesus wants to make sure that they understand fully what it is that they're committing to. And so he gets ready to start this sermon. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most famous sermons that's ever been preached. And uh, it's this moment where he begins to give them a a change in their worldview. Uh, They thought life was about this. They they thought they knew what they were living for and why they were choosing to live that way. Uh, And he is going to kind of shift that worldview. And so this past week, I was thinking about times where my worldview shifted, changed. One of the greatest moments uh, that took place for, I think, Amanda and I was uh, the day that we brought home Taylor. He's our firstborn. Uh, and uh, up until that point, you know, the, the reality of having a kid was in my mind. And, you know, I, I, I thought I knew what I was going to be ready for and prepared for. Uh, we had our son in the hospital. We sent, we were told to send him to the nursery as much as possible so that we could rest. So we did that. So we weren't like fully like taking care of this child yet. And then we got home, took him out of his car seat. This is the moment we did that. Look at that baby. Wasn't that cute then? (laughs) I know. Somebody said, you had a child when you were 16? No, I'm not 16, okay? (laughs) I'm not 16 in that picture. I'm 28, okay? And uh, I looked at Taylor and I looked at Amanda and and this is the sentence that came out of my mouth. He's not going anywhere. We're responsible for him for the next 18 to 20 to the rest of his life. Like, there's nobody to take him to the nursery so that we can rest. Or like, you know, there's nobody to take him so that we can like have a couple days to ourselves. He's ours. He's not going anywhere. Like, it was this whole entire change of my worldview. Like, no longer was it just about taking care of uh, Amanda. That was like, okay, now we have a child that we have to take care of. It changed the way we looked at bedtime. <laughs> we went to bed at a different time that day forward ever since. It changed the, the way we looked at, like, grocery bills, right? I mean, diapers aren't cheap. It changed the way we looked at... Uh, at vacation, it changed the way we looked at just about everything we did. This was like this massive worldview change moment from that day forward. Uh, my world was no longer just about me and my wife. It was about this little boy that we had the responsibility to raise 
and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so that's what we chose to do that day. And I'll never forget, like, it's just like every day after that, like, I still am waking up. He's right there, you know, like, he hasn't gone anywhere yet. So like, 12 years later, it's still reality every morning. But uh, what Jesus is doing in this moment with the disciples is saying, hey, this is going to be, this is going to be a change of your worldview. It's going to be a change the way you see your world, the way you function. Read with me verse 3. Jesus said, God, or God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. I, I seem to think that like the disciples might be like, he's coming quick this morning, you know, like, I don't imagine this being in the morning. We're not told that, but like, I just imagine like this. Like, okay, hold on, slow down. You went real fast there in the beginning. Like he immediately says, God blesses those. It's this list of blessings. We know them as the Beatitudes, but truthfully, they're just blessings that Jesus is, is announcing on a certain group of people. And I'm going to just be real with you. Like when I read this passage, when I accepted Jesus and, and probably for a few years after that, I still laugh when I think about this, but like I thought of these more as like a negative thing. God blesses those who are poor. God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those who are humble. At that time, I didn't have a great view of humility. And so I saw them with more of a negative connotation. I'm going to go ahead and blame that on my grandma Brown, Okay. This is why I blame that on my grandma Brown. Now she's gone and passed and my mom will probably kill me for saying this, but nonetheless, she was a fiery lady and she would just speak her mind, but she didn't want to offend people. So she would say, God bless his heart, but he can't play basketball worth a darn. God bless her heart. She's just not beautiful. I, I, I'll bet like my, she would say, I'm like, Grandma, just because you say God bless their heart doesn't mean you're allowed to say whatever you want after that. And God bless his heart. He ain't ever getting married. <laughs> Grandma, no, you can't say that. Like he heard that, you know, like she would do that all the time. It's like, no, you're not allowed just because you said something before a phrase that doesn't justify whatever you're saying after it. That's what she thought. And so when I would read these, I would have my grandmother's, you know, voice in my head. God blesses those who are poor. They realize they need them, you know, like, like, a, like it's like a negative connotation. And I, I, it took me a while to like actually understand. No, no, no. Like who Jesus is talking about are his disciples. Like the ones who actually want to uh, live life that looks like his life. Hey, he says, God blesses those who are poor. The NIV does this a little bit of help. It says poor in spirit. And then circle this in your Bibles. If you write in your Bible, circle this, because I've got a circle. It's great. And realize, circle real, realize their need for him. You see, Jesus is saying, like, it's one thing to follow Jesus, but it's another thing to realize that you have a need for a savior. It's different. In fact, Jesus would teach about it in Luke as well. And he says this in Luke 2, 17. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. 
I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I said this last week, maybe two weeks ago. It's our sin that qualifies us for a savior. When we realize we're sinners, we realize our need for a savior, for him. That's, that's you and I. That's our job. That's something we're supposed to be doing, realizing, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't got this all together. I need a savior. And then from this point forward, that's what he's walking through and telling us, like, this is, this is who you are supposed to, these are the characteristics that shift a worldview of a kingdom mind person, not a person of this world, not a person who's focused on just this life. So first and foremost, we have to realize our need for them because we'll be blessed. And notice what he says, it will be blessed with the kingdom of heaven. That, that's theirs. Like it's not about this earth. It's not about uh, this life. It's about the kingdom of heaven. It's about what's to come. The Beatitudes, they're all around and about the character of a kingdom-minded person. Verse four, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. I, when I first read that, and I think we read that in the church, oftentimes we think that's somebody who's mourning like a loss in this life. Let me tell you that that's not what Jesus is referring to. Jesus, uh, the Bible all over talks about those who are going to be comforted for those who lose and suffer in this world. But this is about those who mourn what? Their sin. It's those who mourn their sin. Realize, right? It ties right into the first one. Realize that we're sinners and that we mourn our sin. We feel bad about our sin. We're frustrated with our sin. And we'll be comforted. How will we be comforted? We'll be comforted because Jesus is going to come. He knows this, right? He's the one speaking here. And solve that sin issue in our lives. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die in our place so that you and I can be forgiven fully, freely, and forever. And that we can continually experience that freedom. But the truth is, is that we still have that sin. And so for the life of a disciple, we have to continue to mourn our sin. God blesses those who are poor in spirit. God blesses those who mourn their sin. God blesses, verse five, those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. I hope you realize that these first couple are actually spoken about. It's a fulfillment of a prophecy. If you want to flip back with me to Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus would have known this prophecy and this teaching ties right into Isaiah chapter 61 verse one says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to who? To the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners would be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. So you see, when, when you and I, we put these two passages together, when you and I live as those who are poor in spirit, who mourn our sin and are humble before our God, 
we become great oaks that the Lord's planted for his own glory. We become prime examples of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. If these are Jesus' character that he's passing on to us, those should be evident in our lives. Humility should be something that marks a disciple's life. And he says, those who are humble, they'll inherit the whole earth. God's gonna give you all that you need in that. No, this is not the prosperity gospel. Don't even think that for a second. But then he goes on in verses five uh, through nine, and he talks about some other characteristics. And, and I would say these characteristics kind of lay out the good life, right? But we all strive for the, the good life. We want the good life. We want to have the American dream. And yet God lays out something that's different than what maybe you and I think on a regular basis. He says this, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they'll be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called children of God. It lists out four characteristics of maybe the good life here on earth when it comes to a disciple. You hunger and thirst for justice. They're merciful. Their hearts are pure. And they work for peace. And with it, he gives four promises that you will experience as a result of living this good life. You'll be satisfied. You'll be shown mercy. You'll see God. And you'll be called children of God. Sounds pretty good to me, doesn't it? To you? Right, that's what he says is the good life. Now, this is not what would have been the good life to the people Jesus was speaking to. Their world was ruled by the Romans, right? Mercy was not a thing of the Roman culture. They didn't show mercy, right? They didn't feel like they had seen God. In fact, uh, if you remember right at the beginning of the New Testament, it had been 400 years since God had spoken or done anything. And so there is this desire in them for something that's new, something that's fresh, something that's real. And then when I, I read these passages, I think, well, this doesn't really line up with our culture today. This doesn't, this isn't how the culture would read it. In fact, one, one commentator actually lists how the culture might list it. And so I'll just read it back to you. Our culture would probably say, blessed are the rich, for they have it all and they have it now. Blessed are the happy, for they are content with themselves and don't need others. Blessed are the arrogant, for people defer to them. Blessed are those who fight for good things in life, for they'll get them. Blessed are the sophisticated, for they'll have a good time. And that's what our culture would say to us. And then we read what Jesus says to us. It doesn't line up. The good life that our culture tells us to live is nothing like the good life that Jesus tells us to live. It's a worldview change. It is, hey, this is what you were thinking about. This is how you saw the world. This is what you're thinking about and how you should see the world now. And so I, I, I wrote this sentence out as I was preparing this past week. The kingdom-minded disciples don't view the good life like our culture views the good life. There's a difference 
These characteristics make up somebody who's kingdom-minded. So Jesus says they're poor in spirit. They mourn their sin. They're humble before God. They hunger and thirst for justice. They're merciful. Their hearts are pure and they work for peace. But there's one more. Verse 10. This might be the strangest one out of all of them. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when, you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And he's laid out this, this good life. Listen, this is the life you want. This is the one that you want to live. This is how you should, the characteristics you should model as a disciple. But let me tell you this, if you actually do that, get ready. Because you're going to be persecuted. People aren't going to like it. People are going to make fun of you. They're going to mock you. And people are going to lie about you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to say all sorts of evil things about you. Why? Because you're my followers. Notice, notice the change in this verse. Verse 10, it starts with, again, just the same as the rest of the Beatitudes. God blesses those who do right. But then verse 11, he takes this one beatitude and he, he drills down a little bit deeper. Instead of those who, it's now you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be the one who's lied about. You're the one who's going to be mocked. You're the one who's going to have lies told about you. And then he says something so completely crazy. Be happy about it. Be very glad. Wait a second. Wait a second. Somebody lies about me and my character. I'm supposed to be happy about that. Somebody mocks me because I choose to live a different life and do something different throughout the week. I'm supposed to be happy about that. Yes. Why? Because it means you're on the right track. Because it means you're actually living the life that God calls us to live, the life of a disciple. You're actually living a life that looks like Jesus' life because what was Jesus? He was mocked. He was persecuted. He was lied about and all sorts of evil things. We're said about Jesus. And so if you're doing that, you know what? You're closer to being like Jesus than you probably think. So yeah, be very glad. Be very glad. Because the kingdom of heaven is yours. You're focused on the right kingdom. Not this earthly kingdom of yours, but Jesus' heavenly kingdom to come. It's a worldview change. Back to Haven Taylor. Our worldview changed again. When we went on our first vacation with Taylor. He's about a year and a half old. And uh, we were going to go to the beach. We had a beach trip for our high school ministry at that time. So man, and, and Taylor, we're going to go down. We're going to get the hotel set up, the church set up, make sure all the food is ready for the week. And uh, as we began to pack, I realized we're pretty much packing the entire house. Okay? You know this. If you've, got, uh, like a, you've had a small child, you have to take everything. Okay? So I had the checklist, like the play mat, the pack and play, uh, the bibs, the, the passies, right? The diapers, the formula. Uh, I had, uh, I mean, just everything. Then we had the beach, right? So we had to have the, the beach umbrella, the, the beach blanket, the beach toys. Uh, and we had, you know, like, and we're going to be in a hotel. So we had to have sound machine and we had to have, you know, like, I mean, like, 
By the time we got everything in the car, I'm like, I'm just going to have to take a swimsuit that I wear on my body down there because I ain't going to have time to pack anything. So we get down to the beach, uh, we get settled, we, we unpack, like it's, they probably thought we were moving in. Uh, we unpack the car into the hotel room and we go to dinner that night. We're at a, a seafood restaurant, of course. I mean, we're on the ocean, why not? And, uh, and my wife orders popcorn shrimp. And so we're like, you know what? Taylor's at one and a half. He's, he literally eats anything you put in front of him, plastic or real. And, um, and so we're like, we put popcorn shrimp down there, just two of them. Let's see if he likes popcorn shrimp. He pops one in his mouth, chews it, doesn't really get excited about it, doesn't really get mad about it. And, uh, but he leaves the other one there and goes back to his mac and cheese. And we're like, okay, well, maybe he doesn't like it. So grab the other one, I eat it, and we move on. Next morning, we get up from uh, night's sleep and I go to get him changed into his swim trunks for the beach. And as I unpop all the little buttons on his onesie, uh, I reveal his entire body in a rash. Like, I mean, from his neck down to his toes. And I'm like, ha ha, honey, you know, like, what is going on with him, you know? And I mean, he's happy as can be. You wouldn't be able to tell anything was wrong with him. Um, he had a complete allergic reaction to that shrimp we gave him the night before. So I call the doctor. The doctor says, you know, would you give him anything different? Yeah, we gave him shrimp last night. Okay, he's just having an allergic reaction. It's fine. Just give him some Benadryl. Yeah, Benadryl, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't pack that. Okay. Packed everything else, but we have no medication for this child. Okay. So we had to quickly make a trip to CVS, come back, give him some Benadryl. And it was probably the funniest day at the beach with a boy. Like, yeah, like he's having great fun at the beach, you know, just like barely even keep his eyes open. But it's a worldview shift. Like from that day forward, I'm like, we're never leaving the house without the entire medicine cabinet too. Right? I'm not going to ever let something like that happen to my child again. Jesus, in this moment, the disciples are walking away from this conversation, and it's got to be to them like, okay, we've got to shift the way we see this world. We've got to shift the way we live our life. We've got to think differently about the things we thought we cared about before and what we actually care about now. It is a complete change of directions in the way they see things. And then Jesus goes to this you part where he's just drilling down. But what I, I want to make sure you see and understand is that these are, Beatitudes are the character of a kingdom-minded disciple. This is what you and I still to this day are called to live out. And so the question becomes like, and I had to answer this question myself this past week before I asked you, is how are you doing? How are you doing? Being poor in spirit. How are you doing in mourning your sin? How are you doing being humble before God? How are you doing hungry and thirsting for justice? How are you doing being merciful? How are you doing having hearts that are pure? How are you doing it working for peace? How are you doing it being persecuted because you're doing what's right? We, uh, we share our sermons with each other so that way we can make notes and comments during the week before we come in here and preach. And I put a question after that list. And the question was to, to pick one of these and work on it this next week. And, and Mark read my sermon and, and he said, dude, you, this question's wrong. I said, what do you mean wrong? It's <laughs> pretty strong, jerk. You know, like, back off. That was a great question. You know, like, I thought I did good with that. 
He says, not one of these, it's all eight of them. How are they doing at all eight of them? How are you doing at all eight of them? I'm like, well, back off, okay? Like, <laughs> how am I doing at all eight of those? Man, I, I, number five, I don't like number five. Mercy doesn't ever score high on my spiritual gifts. Be honest with you. I'm empathetic. I'll help you out once. Get yourself in there again, like, well, you moron, really? Like, <laughs> probably shouldn't say that as a pastor, but that's what's going on in my mind. I was confessing for you today, right? Being persecuted for doing right? If I know there's persecution coming, justice, thirsting for justice, my question is, how are you doing? Like this is, this is what you and I are supposed to have as our worldview. This is what our character is supposed to be made of, up, up, up of. This is what we're supposed to be modeling to our loved ones. So then these questions started popping in my mind. So I figured I'd share them with you. Like what would, what would my extended family say about me when it comes to this list of eight? What would my kids say about me when it comes to these eight? What would my one say about these eight things? when it came to me. Because you see, if, if you really live in these eight things out, yeah, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be mocked. You're going to stand out. You're going to be different. But that's the point. That's the whole point. Why is that the whole point? Let me point out one more thing because you need to see this. The Beatitudes start and end with the same promise. Verse three says this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 10, the eighth beatitude. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And Jesus wanted us to understand, listen, the reason you choose to do this is because your worldview is about the kingdom of heaven. It isn't about this world. It's about the world to come. It's not about the American dream. It's about the dream of eternity with those whom you love and care about. It's not about what the world says is the good life here. It's about the good life to come in eternity in heaven. It is about the kingdom of heaven. This is the character of those who are a disciple of Jesus. This is the good life of one who follows him. Or as D.A. Carson put it, to be poor in spirit is not to lack courage, but to acknowledge spiritual bankruptcy. The kingdom of heaven is not given on the basis of race, earned merits, the military zeal and prowess of the zealots, or the wealth of Zacchaeus. It is given to the poor and despised. Prostitutes, those who are poor know that they can offer nothing and do not even try. They cry for mercy and they alone are heard for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I said, a disciple is one who knows and follows Jesus. And here's the great promise that comes behind that list. A disciple is one who is being changed by Jesus. There's grace in this because the Holy Spirit is continually working on each of us, myself included. So let him work on you. 
Let him ingrain these characteristics in you. Let this be the worldview you look at and that you pursue because the kingdom of heaven is near and we are the disciples, the representatives of that kingdom. So let's look like that this week. I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, I confess that I fall very short of looking like that list. I confess I, I get blinded by what good life and a comfortable life in this world looks like. I confess I don't love the, the idea or even the word persecuted. And yet when you sat down with your disciples at the beginning of ministry, the first sermon that you preached, you said, this is what we're supposed to look like. Poor in spirit, mourning our sins, living humbly before you, seeking it and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, being persecuted. That's a tough one to swallow. And Father, when we, we are persecuted, would you remind us that we're, we're, we're persecuted because we're living life right? We're putting you first. We're pursuing you and the kingdom of heaven and Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to ingrain these things in us, to change our worldview, to make our hearts one after your own. That we might find ourselves called disciples of Jesus. We might represent the kingdom of heaven to come. Would you help us to do that this week? Would you help us to examine ourselves at this list, all eight, weigh them against the life we're living and Holy Spirit, would you make the changes that are necessary? Jesus, thanks for this sermon. Thanks for this message. We love you and we thank you. We give you all the honor and glory today. Jesus, we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.